Good morning. I heard one response. Let's try it again. Good morning. Good morning. Well, I had one person come up to me and say, preach good. (laughs) Thanks, bro. I'll take it. Uh, My brother, Dan, and his wife, who were with us from Michigan last week here, have been with us for an entire week, and we've been vacationing, doing things we've never done in the Northwest Pacific. Um, So we took the ferry to Bremerton, and then... I mean, we went, drove to Bremerton, took the ferry over to downtown Seattle and did the Pikes Market place, you know, and, and uh, went to the ocean, down at Ocean Shores, and went up to Rainier National Park to Paradise. So we've done all these things that we haven't done since we've come here. So um, the reason I'm telling you that is I'm about less than half prepared of what I normally am when I speak to you. So when somebody comes up and says, do good, or I'm praying for you, I'll take it right now. I'll just really, really take it. You would have thought that I had uh, either texted Ryan, our worship leader, or called him on the phone or something and said, hey, this is what I'm speaking on. Would you please pick some songs that match? And uh, I didn't do that. We didn't talk. I didn't know what he was going to lead this morning, but... Uh, I've actually given three, I keep changing the title to this message. I I knew where I felt like God wanted to take us this morning, but uh, to be honest, I didn't know quite how to title it. So I started out just answered prayer. Uh, And then I said, no, that's not good enough. So I went to Isaiah 56, 7, and I said, okay, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I said, yeah, that's good, but that's not quite spot on. That's really not what I'm grabbing for. Um, And so finally I came up with developing a culture of God's presence through prayer. And that is really what I want to talk to you about. Developing a culture or inviting a culture of God's presence through prayer. Now I've spoken to you before about worship. Remember I did the, if you were here, I did the thing on hymns. And then I did, next time I did prison to praise. Because I really believe that you invite the presence of God, the welcoming presence of God through worship and praise. But you know what? You also invite it and welcome it through prayer. And uh, I will be the first one to tell you the least popular subject in church is prayer. And uh, you know why? Intuitively, you know why, don't you? It's because we all feel guilty. A little bit of shame because we don't, we're not disciplined in our prayer life. You know, we, we, we really desire to pray more, but uh, we just don't do it as much as we think we ought to do it. And uh, I'm in that group. I'm, I'm with you there. Um, but I know that you can invite the welcoming presence of God through prayer. Through the years of ministry, I've preached on prayer. Hi, honey. Welcome. <laughs> she must have just left the grandchildren. Um, I've spoken on the promise of prayer. In fact, Tom, that's in my notes. The passage you quoted up here, was that John 14, 13 and 14? Yeah. Did did you hear him talk about the promise? You can ask anything you want. That's a promise in prayer. Or Mark 11, 24, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. So there's lots of promises about prayer. I've spoken on uh, the patterns of prayer before. Have you ever thought about the patterns of prayer? When you're teaching or discipling, mentoring, coaching people how to pray, you can talk to them about different patterns of prayer. Like maybe the most famous one is follow the Lord's Prayer. You know, pray through the Lord's Prayer. Larry Lee made it famous. uh, Could you not tarry one hour and pray through the Lord's Prayer? Uh, Larry Kreider wrote a book called My House Should Be Called a House of Prayer. And he uses the pattern of the Lord's Prayer to go through a house And he goes through all the different rooms of the house using the Lord's Prayer. One room is adoration and, you know, the war room and that kind of thing. My favorite pattern of prayer, uh, you know, when you come before the Lord and you you really have time to spend time alone with God, I like to go through what I call the five fingers of prayer. And incidentally, this is all introduction. This is not where we're headed in the message this morning. But I like adoration first and then confession and then supplication and then petition and then intercession. Petitions closer to the end. 
You know, we all think prayer is about what God can do for us, and so we ask God for things for us. And that's really not what prayer is about. Prayer is not so much about what God can do for us as much as it is what... um, I've got it backwards. It's not, I've got it totally backwards. It's not so much about what we want from God, but what God wants from us in terms of our love and intimacy. That's really what prayer is about. Is about it. We tend to think that prayer is overcoming God's reluctance rather than, rather than uh, just laying hold of his willingness. Just think about that. That's a quote everybody should know. Just think about that. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. God really wants to heal you, guide you, anoint you, deliver you, bless you, help you. He really wants to. Most of all, he wants to love you. And he wants you to fall in love with him. And just keep falling in love with him. And keep falling in love with him. A lot of us think that prayer is the preparation for the work of the church. It is not. Prayer is the work of the church. Prayer is not the preparation of the work of the church. Prayer is the work of the church. And if you've ever been part of a church that is a praying church. And I'm not talking just about a handful of intercessors god has gifted us in this church and with with couples that are called to pray regularly and intercede for the church but i'm talking about if you've ever been part of a praying body this church is known because of its prayer you cannot imagine the kingdom impact that that has not only in the people that attend but in the transformation of the community around you Prayer is absolutely an amazing thing. It is essential to what God wants to do in his kingdom. Jim uh, Simbalo, who's the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, said one time that he has seen God do more in the lives of people in 10 minutes of authentic, genuine prayer than in 10 of his sermons. Now, I'm going to tell you the story of Brooklyn Tabernacle and what God did there. Uh, at the end of the message this morning. But that's just an example of one quote. Uh, when I was in Des Moines, Iowa, our pastor, Pastor Kurt Arney, went on vacation. I was a member of the First Church of the Open Bible traveling. Uh, I got a phone call from him, and he said, Jeff, I'm going to be out on vacation, particular Sunday. Would you please uh, preach for me? And I said, well, what's on your heart, Pastor? What do you want me to speak on? He said, anything you want, but where the Lord has me is on the subject of prayer and the Holy Spirit. And I said, Okay. Um, And then he said this to me. I wasn't expecting this. He said, Jeff, the barometer of the health of our church is directly related to 5 o'clock p.m. Sunday night. That was their prayer meeting. Is it possible that a pastor could really believe that Sunday morning is not the main event? Is that possible that Sunday morning is not the main event? And that the prayer meeting could be the main event. I'll tell you that story when I get to the end of the message. It is possible. And pastors that truly believe that have seen their churches, their people's lives, and their communities totally transformed. Listen to these uh, quotes, if you will. There's just four of them. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist at the uh, end of the 19th century. Every revival in history can be traced back to a single kneeling form. Dr. J. Edwin Orr. I had the privilege of hearing Dr. Orr. Have you ever sung that song, Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Father. Know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way. Those of you that love hymns, I, I know. Well, he wrote that. Dr. J. Edwin Orr wrote that song. He spent 60 years studying revival. He was so hungry for God. He was a God chaser. He was so hungry for God, he had to know what it was that birthed revival. He earned three PhDs during that time. Sixty years of trying to find God, and this is his conclusion of the whole matter. Whenever God is ready to do something new in his people, he always sets them to praying. It's true. 
Every revival in history can be traced back to people praying. Every move of God, every spiritual awakening can be traced back to God calling people to prayer. Dick Eastman said this, No obstacle can stand in the way of a praying church. No obstacle can stand in the way of a praying church. And Max Lucado said, When we work in church, we work. But when we pray, God works. And that's the truth. Where was the church born? You know, before I answer that question... Let's just talk about Jeremiah 33, 3. That was going to be my text. I haven't even read you my text yet, by the way. Um, did, Zanina, were we able to get my text in, in the New King James Version? Oh, is it in NIV? Okay, that's all right. Um, I'm going to read you my text first. It's Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. I have an NIV, and I really don't want to read it in NIV, but we'll, we'll do that because. Uh, is it? Oh, good. Then I'm just going to read it with you. Let's read it. There was a certain, this is Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. It's one of the most exciting chapters in the New Testament. Uh, this, this would make a good drama. This would be a great drama production for those of you that are in. I mean, it develops the characters and it moves through the plot. And man, the outcome is just explosive. It's unbelievable. This is when the gospel goes to the Gentiles. Against everything that Peter, who was a Jew, a loyal Jew, would have, he, he didn't want anything to do with it. So there was a certain man in Caesarea. Um, Ramon and I have been to Caesarea. It's uh, 30 miles north of Joppa on the seacoast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's a beautiful harbor. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion. Centurion means that he was over a hundred soldiers. Uh, He was a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people. And he prayed to God. What's the word? Say it with me. Say it one more time. He prayed to God. Thank you. Whose surname is Peter. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have two words. Read the two words. Have what? Your prayers have what? Thank you. Your prayers have come up for a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa. And send for Simon. Send men to Joppa and send for Simon. Now let's go to Jeremiah 33.3. It's probably memorized by half of you in here. We all know it. I see Tom nodding his head. Tom, I love it when you pray. (laughs) Love to listen to you pray because I love the word flowing out of your heart. And Jeremiah, uh, that's not the right one. Jeremiah 33.3. We'll just quote it together. It says, call on the Lord. And he'll do what? Answer you. Say the word answer. He'll answer you. Show you great and mighty works which you did not know. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you did not know. Now there are other passages just like that. I'm thinking right now of Psalm 91 uh, where in there it says um, he will call upon me and I will answer him. You know God, folks, In fact, I was working out on the treadmill up at the Y, and one of our church members came up to me and said, you know, the prayer team prayed for me, and I had relief the following day, and it was amazing, but the next day it came back, and it, it hasn't gone away, and I'm fighting it again. Help me understand. And we had a discussion about that, but the point is God answers prayer. Either that or God's a liar. I mean, those are the options, right? He either does answer prayer or he doesn't answer prayer. And the scriptures very clearly say God is not a man that he would lie. Neither the son of man. So one, there's only one impossible thing for God. Only one. There's one impossible thing for God. And I just told you what it is. It is impossible for God to lie. He will never lie. And God answers prayer. God answers prayer. So, 
where was the church born? Was the church born in a preaching session? No. Was the church born in a teaching session? No. Was the church born in a worship time? No. Was the church born in a... Take your pick. I'll tell you where the church was born if you want to read about it. In Acts chapter 1, 10 to 14. Do we have that by any chance? Acts chapter 1, 10 to 14. The church was born, beloved, in a prayer meeting. That's where the church was born, in a prayer meeting. And the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. This is after the ascension of Christ in the first chapter of Acts. He's been crucified. He's been buried. He's risen from the dead. He's now been seen multiple times by his disciples and others, the two on the Emmaus Road. And then he's ascended to heaven. And it says, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew. It's going to give you the whole list of all the disciples there, Thomas, Bartholomew, etc. And they all joined together constantly in prayer. And they all joined together constantly in prayer. Okay, now I hope this is starting to exercise your faith just a little bit. Don't let me put you to sleep uh, because I know prayer is not an easy thing. Before the end of the service, you want to know where I'm headed at the end of the service? See this pad right here with a pin on it? And see that pad over there with a pin on it? I'm going to be asking you, the congregation of Celebration Center, to commit five minutes a day. That's all. Not ten, not a half hour, not an hour. I said, Lord, could this church tithe a day to you? You know, there's 24 hours in a day, right? So what's 10% of 24 hours? 2.4 hours. What's 2.4 hours converted to minutes? It's 144 minutes. That's a tithe of a day. Could this church, by five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, commit to praying to invite, to welcome the presence of God into our meetings into this place, the glory, the effulgent glory, the presence, the power, the anointing of the Spirit in our services. Because when the presence of God shows up, look out. I'm going to tell you a story about that later on. When the presence of God comes, look out. I'm tired of doing church. I think you're tired of doing church too. What we want is a visitation to God. No, that's not what we want. We don't want a visitation from God. You said we want the habitation of God. We want the habitation of God in this place. And it will come when his people begin to welcome him and pray that he comes. And I'm asking you to just sign your name on this as a commitment for the next six months till December the 31st, the end of this calendar year, that five minutes every day you won't answer the phone, you won't text anybody. Uh, it's all right. I know we have busy mothers here. Um, you can be ironing, you can be cooking, you can be doing whatever you need to be doing. But five devoted minutes of focused prayer, not praying about your back, not praying about your lost cat or dog, not praying about Aunt Gertrude's bad toe, praying about one thing, inviting the presence of God into the church, into the meetings. If that happens, people will drive by on 86th Street and they will feel the presence of God. And they will stop and come in the door and they'll say, what's going on here? I know stories where that's happened. I have friends where that's happened in their church. I know of places where when people drive their cars to come to service, the power of God, the presence of God is so strong that they begin weeping when they get out of their car before they can even reach the door because the conviction of the Holy Spirit is so heavy. I want, I'm a God chaser. I want the reality and the authenticity of a genuine spiritual awakening and move of God in our church and in our community. I want that. And I know that that's going to take a praying people. And I'm just giving us a place to start. Let's just start by saying, yeah, 
I can handle five focused minutes a day. Think of that. During the course of this 24 hours, John prays, Stan prays, Maximus prays. You know, I'm going to not call everybody's name. Hunter prays, Mitch prays, Jill prays. You know who you are, Tom prays. And it's just like salt and pepper, like machine gun bullets all through the day. Fred's working over his desk on his jewelry, doing a special engraving he can't make a mistake on. And he's saying, oh, God, come. Oh, God, meet us. God, we're hungry. God, we're desperate for you. Please come to Celebration Center. Think of it all day long. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? But I'm going to have you commit to it in writing. And remember that Solomon says, better not to make a pledge or a vow and then not to fulfill it. A little bit of conviction there to go along with the joy of the privilege of praying. Always. So we read in our text that here's this guy named Cornelius, and he prays always. The Apanos. The reason I didn't want it to be read in NIV or the other translations is because the Greek word, the dia, is a, is a prefix which means through. And the rest of the word means through all time. So it is a call to pray through all time. Now, you and I know in the, in the spirit of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, go into your closet and pray. It's impossible that we be in a closet and pray all day. I mean, God, God doesn't mean, the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you are 24-7 praying that way all the time. And yet, we run across that phrase over and over in Scripture. Like, for instance, in Luke 18.1, I have it memorized in the old King James Version, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Or how about 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where it simply says in the King James Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. How is that possible? Is God asking us to do something that cannot be done? Or how about Ephesians six eighteen? After it goes through all of the, the uh, armor of God, you know the helmet and the breastplate and the sword and the shield and the feet shod and the loins girt and all that, it finishes up by saying, praying always, in all prayer and supplication in the spirit. How is that possible? Well, here's the profound revelation. I mean, it's so exciting. I mean, you, you could kick your feet and run and dance over this. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians six 19, don't you know that your body, your temple, is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit? It says in uh, Revelation 21, verse 3, I think it is, it says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The altar of God, the dwelling place of God, is in us. There's never a place, there's never a time that you are away from the presence of God or God from you. Because wherever you go, you're carrying the presence of God with you. You're literally carrying the presence of God with you. You can pray anytime you want, anywhere you want, any way you want, eyes open, eyes closed, speaking in tongues, not speaking in tongues, hands raised, standing, prostrate, pacing. I like to pray pacing. But you can pray and pray and pray. In Daniel 6.10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where his windows opened to Jerusalem. Any more of it there? And anyway, it says he opened his windows to Jerusalem and three times a day he prayed. Even though it was outlawed and the decree said he couldn't, he did. I like Psalm 55, verse 16 and 17. As for me, I will call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. In the, Hebrew, in the Hebrew day, we start our day in the morning, don't we? In the Hebrew day, they start their day at 6 o'clock at night. That's when their day begins. So it's natural that somebody writing in Hebrew would begin evening, morning, and noon. Will I pray and cry aloud to you, and you'll hear my voice. Always. Praying always. Prayer is about communion with God, about union with God, about loving God, about listening to God. Prayer is 
about having a life-giving church, having a healthy prayer ministry in the church is so very, very important. After the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2, there's a little verse called Acts, it's Acts 2.42, and it says what the church was doing. And this is what it says. That it was the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and you guessed it, prayer. Well, if you divide that up into four parts, that means prayer would be 25% of what the church does. When a prayer meeting is the most difficult meeting to get people to go to in a church. You call a prayer meeting, nobody shows up. And you wonder why. Why is that? You call a prayer meeting and nobody shows up. So I, I want to move on from um, always praying. Although I'm, I'm reminded of what happened. Ramona and I were in Ventura, California in our first place of ministry. Uh, we were the associate pastors, youth pastors. And uh, I suppose that our senior pastors were in their 30s. And those were back in the days when you had three services a week. You had service on Sunday morning, you had service on Sunday night, and you had service on, you know, yeah, it's on Wednesday night. And that, you know, busy families, that's already more than most families want to handle. But we had a meeting on Friday night, too. But it was never at church. It was in houses. And we went from house to house to house to house every Friday night, and all we did was pray. It was a prayer meeting, and it was well attended. As I, I can remember being in some houses, and it was just crowded, you know, because houses aren't designed to handle churches. And there was prayer, and there was prayer, and there was prayer. And, you know, God did break out in our church. God broke out in the fifth grade Sunday school class and baptized all of those children in the Holy Spirit, and they started bringing their parents to church and uh, it touched the entire church body, and we had a great move of God there. Uh, the power of praying always. Now I want to talk to you about accumulated prayer real quickly. And this probably is self-evident to you, but it's still important. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12, it says, we won't quote the whole thing. You know what it says, two are better than one. You know, a threefold cord is not easily broken. You're familiar with that passage, aren't you? In Matthew 18, 19 to 20, uh, you would be familiar with that. I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. Now, this theme starts to repeat itself when Jesus tells stories and preaches parables about the accumulated effect of prayer. The accumulated effect of prayer. One of those is Luke 18. It's the parable of the persistent widow and the judge. And basically, he's just just tired of her coming to him. And so he says, okay, you can have what you want. Because of her persistent prayer and the accumulation of prayer. There's a wonderful story in Luke 11. I like it. It's about a midnight visitor. Now, I don't know who would do this. But this guy goes and knocks on a door of a friend at midnight. And he says... Uh, Look, I have a friend that has come to my house, and I don't have any bread to put in front of him. Would you give me some bread? And this guy responds, I remember, with three different things. He says, well, he said, my door is locked. And he says, the hour is late. It's midnight. And I've already put my children to bed. Get out of here. Go away. I don't have anything for you. And then this is when Jesus tells the story. He says this. He didn't respond to his need for bread because he was a friend, but just because he kept demanding, because he was so bold. In the King James, it says because of his importunity. In the NIV, it says because of his boldness. Some places it says in the marginal rendering because of his persistence. So you get that same thing again. Remember the Syrophoenician woman? It's the same story again. Jesus in that passage in Mark 7 is actually trying to hide himself. Jesus did that. He would try to hide himself to, to get away from people because of the crowd and the rush. But this woman found out where she was, this Syrophoenician woman, and she just refused. She said, my daughter has an unclean spirit. There's a devil, and you've got to heal her. And Jesus said, no, no, the, you know, the crumbs of the table are, are for the, 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 the bread is for the children. Uh, you remember the story. And the woman, she responds, she said, well, look, even the dogs deserve the crumbs that are under the table. 
There were actually two or three, this is Luke, Mark 7, two or three different times Jesus said no and pushed her away. What would you do if Jesus said no to you? What would you do if Jesus said no to you? But he said, he says, great is your faith, or according to your faith be it unto you. I mean, you know, he said, go back home, she's healed. And the woman went back home and found her daughter, and the demon was gone. Now, that's just three short stories that Jesus told where the importance of accumulated prayer really makes a huge difference. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8, let's see if that's up there. And when they had taken it, that means the scroll. It is the scroll. This is a throne room scene. The glorious Father's on the throne. He's holding the scroll. Jesus, finally, the Lamb, opened the scroll. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. That's the music. That's the worship. Have you ever heard of harp and bowl ministry? This is the passage it's taken from. There are, you've heard of uh, houses of prayer, 24-hour houses of prayer, all across the country. In fact, there's one on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, just open. All across the country, these churches and these ministries are opening, and they're called harp and bowl ministries. The harp is the worship, and the bowl, let's read about it. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. These bowls need to be filled up. Now, I'm not going to take the time zanina but i think i also had revelation 8 3 to 5 if anybody wants to read it again it talks about the golden bowls it talks about these bowls and the incense see when we pray listen very carefully to what i'm saying to you when we pray whether it's one praying often or always or whether it's multiple people praying about the same thing it begins to accumulate prayer and the prayers of the saints rise like an incense and begin to fill the bowls and as the level of the bowls begin to rise there comes a time when finally it does what it overflows and god unleashes he releases his power and his glory his anointing into the earth because the prayers have finally been so weighty and have so moved the heart of God. Because remember, God wants to answer prayer. God loves to answer prayer. That's the heart of God, to answer prayer. In fact, the Welsh revival in 1904 that touched the whole world. It's called the Sixth, the sixth Great Awakening. The Welsh revival, 1904. September 22nd, 1904. Because Evan Roberts, a young man, prayed for 11 years for revival. 11 years. The power of accumulated prayer. The power of accumulated prayer. There's a story of the British uh, Empire when they were, it's, it's in the, uh, it's called the Anglo-Burmese War during the 18th century. There were actually three of those wars. But uh, when the war reached Rangoon, uh, the British Empire was expanding, taking territory. Burmese was losing its territory. And there was one occasion where in the, in the main temple, uh, the big bell, the big, big heavy bell in the steeple, uh, was hit by a bomb and it crashed and it fell over and it went into the river. And it buried itself in the silt and the mud in the bottom of the river. And they got a hold of engineers and they asked these engineers to get their bell out. And they could not get it out. They could not move it. So they were going to give up on it. And a priest of a smaller church came and said, uh, if I can get the bell up, can I have it? And they said, yeah, you can have the bell if you get it up. Now, do you know anything about bamboo? <laughs> bamboo floats. You can't sink it. So what he did was he got some fellow priests and some people in his parish, and he started cutting bamboo, not a little bit of bamboo. I mean, we're talking the whole countryside of bamboo, piece after piece after piece. And he had divers take it down to the bottom of the river and attach first one little strip of bamboo. And then as the day proceeded, another strip and another strip. And they did that for a week, and then two weeks, and then three weeks. They just kept diving to the bottom, putting thousands and thousands of pieces of bamboo. Now you know where this story is going, don't you? The power of accumulated prayer. Eventually, that lat the tipping point. Those of you that are in management and business, You've read the book, The Tipping Point. Eventually, 
that last piece of bamboo moved the bell and it lifted out of the silt and floated to the top. That's the power of accumulated prayer. The power is not in prayer itself. The power is in the willingness of Almighty God to activate his hand and turn his face toward you when he hears your heart cry to him, when he hears of your love for him, your passion for him. It moves the face of God. It moves the face of God. Let's talk about action to accompany prayer. Let's not. It's later than I thought it was. Um, I'll summarize as best as I'm able. The point of this is oftentimes with prayer, there is a required act of faith that goes along with the praying. I see some heads nodding, so I know you're with me. Listen to me very carefully because this is huge in the story of Acts chapter 10. I didn't read. I was going to read the whole 44 verses. But but I don't mean right now, but I mean to start the text because the story is so exciting. I was serious when I said it would make a great drama. The centurion, Cornelius, had to do something that was absolutely totally out of his comfort zone. He was a devout man. He was praying And God spoke to him and said, send six of your people down to Joppa. That's 30 miles south along the coast. And go find a guy whom you don't know, and you don't know where he is. Go find this guy and tell him to come up because God said he's supposed to come up. Now that in itself is an act of faith that accompanies his prayer. In the meantime, Peter is 30 miles south in Joppa. Ramon and I have been in Joppa. It's a It's a suburban uh, area to Tel Aviv. It's where uh, Jonah was, uh, if you'll remember the story of Jonah. And down there in, they call it Jaffa today, J-A-F-F-A. Down in Jaffa, Peter is waiting to eat, and he goes up on the flat roof, the housetop, to pray. And while he's praying, he has a vision. He's in a trance. And he sees a white sheet let down out of heaven filled with unclean, creeping things. And the Lord says to him, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. Now, this happens three times, and every time Peter tells God no, because he's a Jew, and Jews don't eat unclean things. And so he he doesn't. Finally, the third time, he says, okay, Lord, I'll eat it. And the Lord showed him that, and then these three men arrived, and he knew that the Holy Spirit was saying to him, even though the Gentiles, because these are Gentiles that came to him, even though these Gentile folks are unclean, in your mind as a As a faithful Jewish Hebrew guy, you need to go with them and take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he went to them, took the gospel of the Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit poured out in one of the great stories of the New Testament. The point is that both of those men had to put legs on their prayers. Both of them had to put legs on their prayers. Do you remember when Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall? When Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall, it says there in Nehemiah 4, it says, they prayed and they put guards on the wall. See, they put legs on their prayer. Oftentimes, a natural act of faith will trigger a supernatural response. Oftentimes, a natural act of faith will trigger a supernatural response if it is done in faith. In response to prayer, the Argentina, the, uh, the the revival that broke out in Argentina, happened because a lady stood up and went to the front of the church and pounded on the table because God told her to do something foolish and something dumb, and it literally shook the entire nation of Argentina, literally shook. Well, I told you that I'd close with the story of Brooklyn Tabernacle, and that's what I'm going to do right now, um, and. Um, it's, it's really an amazing story. It's about, it's in the book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, if you haven't seen it. Uh, Jim Simbala was of Ukraine-Polish descent. He went to church once a week with his family. He never in a million years considered the possibility of going into ministry. That was not even in his mind at all. 
His love was basketball. In high school, he was a star. At the Naval Academy where he was accepted, he broke the record as a plebe. That means he was, he was a rookie. It was the first year he was there. He broke the record at the Naval Academy. Injured his back, had to step out from the Naval Academy. When it was healed, he got a full scholarship to the University of Rhode Island. So that's where he went. They won their conference. They were sent to the NCAA tournament. He played in the NCAA tournament. He loved basketball. That's who this guy was. He got married in 1969 to a gal named Carol and she was a gifted organist and pianist. The newlyweds lived in Brooklyn, New York, in an apartment. They got jobs in that hectic business world. Carol's father was a pastor and an overseer. And he kept sending books about the Lord to Jim and telling Jim he should pray about going into ministry. And Jim read the books, but he didn't think that that was important. Then one day he got a phone call from his uh, father-in-law and said, you know, there's this little church in Newark, New Jersey, and they're really struggling. It would be nice if you'd go over and pastor that. And believe it or not, after he prayed about it, the Holy Spirit said, yeah, you got to do that. So he went over and started pastoring this little tiny church in Newark, New Jersey. And I won't tell you that story, but while he's doing that, and while he and his wife are holding on to two jobs just so they can survive, he gets another call from his father-in-law. And he says, Jim, there's a church in Brooklyn, New York. It's a tiny church. It's all black. Jim's white, by the way. says it's all black. But he says their pastor is discouraged. They're down to less than 20 people. They're in trouble. Would you please go speak there for four weeks? He thought, well, I can add that to my schedule. So he promised to go speak for four weeks. He spoke the first week and told all these stories about how dysfunctional the church was. When he went back on the second week, the pastor announced to him that he was resigning and leaving. Would he please tell his father-in-law that he wasn't going to be in charge of the church anymore? So he stayed and preached the third week and the fourth week. His father-in-law asked him to stay, and to make a long story short, he found himself pastoring two churches, and they had to make a decision. And they decided on the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. At the time he took the church, the usher for several years had been stealing money out of the offering plate. They only had one keyboardist, and she only knew one song, and it was, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And they would sing, Oh, How I Love Jesus, six or ten times, and that was their worship service. The church was totally a mess. People were leaving. There was no hope. He was so discouraged when he went to that church. And uh, he went, finally, he, he just said, I'm going fishing. And that's what he did. He went down to Florida and went on a fishing trip out in the ocean. And out in the middle of the ocean, leaning over the bow of the boat with this thing, waiting to catch a fish, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And this is what the Holy Spirit said to him. If you and your wife will lead my people to pray and call upon my name, you will never lack for something fresh to preach. I will supply all the money that's needed, both for the church and for your family, and you will never have a building large enough to contain the crowds that I will send in response. Now, I'm going to read to you what he said when he got back on Sunday morning to this little church. He said, what I have to say to you is not fancy, it's not profound, and it's not spectacular. But I want to say to you today with all seriousness that I can muster, from this day forward... The prayer meeting will be the barometer of our church. What happens on Tuesday night, and their prayer meetings were on Tuesday night, what happens on Tuesday night will be the gauge by which we will judge success or failure because that will be the measure by which God blesses us. The story of their church is absolutely amazing. People travel not only across the United States. People come from across the ocean from nations to attend the Tuesday night prayer meeting. Not the Sunday morning service, the Tuesday night prayer meeting. It has become in the center of an area where prostitutes within a three-week, uh, three-week, within a three-block area are working the corners where there's drug dealers and alcoholism everywhere. They have become the emergency room, the urgent care room for the whole community. And people have been saved, gloriously delivered. That church is now way over 6,000 people. And it's because it is a church that understands and knows what Isaiah 56, 7 says. My house will be called a house of prayer. Will you pray for Celebration Center? 
and turn it into a house of prayer. If we could get the uh, worship team to come up. Our closing this morning is only going to be to ask you to sign up for five minutes. That's what we want from you. And I am praying at least 29 of you will come up because if 29 of you come up to pray for Celebration Center, we will have reached a tithe of every day. 144 minutes, 2.4 hours every day, people will be crying out to God that the welcoming presence of God will come to this place. Will you stand with me together, please? While they're getting ready, I think they're going to play about the Holy Spirit, the song we sang, Welcome Holy Spirit, and you can go ahead and start. Um, I've seen three generations of action heroes now. Uh, when I was a boy, it was Flash Gordon and Superman. I know I'm dating myself. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Uh, my first son, Jeff, it was Jedi Knights. My son, Andrew, it was uh, Ninja Turtles and, and uh, Power Rangers. My grandsons now, I don't even know who they are, all the Avengers and Spider-Man and you know, the only thing about all those action heroes, you know, they can jump, they can twist, they can burn, they can become invisible. They're faster than a speeding bullet. They can lift anything. They, they can do it. But you know what? It's all fantasy, isn't it? It's all fantasy. But Hebrews 11, there's a list of heroes there too. And that's not fantasy. Hebrews 11, are you familiar with the Hall of Faith? Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and Barak, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, waxed strong when they were weak. Wax valiant in fight. Women raise their children to life again. Those are the real action heroes. And that's what I pray for faith in the back row back there. And that's what I pray for Maximus. Action heroes. Present day action heroes. For Victoria and Hunter. For your children, Canyon and Easton and Coleman. My grandchildren. Real action heroes in this day and this hour. Because the welcoming presence of God invades this place. Will you come and sign? Will you come and give five minutes a day to pray for the welcoming presence of the Holy Spirit? Let's sing. You can close in.
Holy Spirit. 